Now, we are in this series called Psalms for the Soul. Psalms for the Soul was a series that we created to help everybody to connect the condition of your soul, whether it's up and down, to the reality of who God is. Uh, Psalms was one of those incredible books that was included in the Bible because God bothered about our emotional well-being. Uh, and especially if you study the book of Psalms, and more than half or at least 73 were clearly recorded. It was written by David, King David. And there were a lot more that uh, some of them was also attributed to him. So it was safely said that at least half of the Psalms was written by David. And if you know the life of David, David went through a lot. He went through when he was young, a shepherd boy, uh, and uh, Blur was being faithful, fought with the lions and the bears. And one day, there's a prophet by the name of Samuel came to the house looking for the next possible king, which is another story by itself. And here he came, a young boy that the father called him back and then anointed to be king with all the oil poured over his head. I'm very sure he doesn't know what in the world is that for. I'm sure he'll go back home, have to wash his head and say, what in the world just happened to me? All the oil poured over me, he said, I'm going to be a king, you know. But that little story unfolded and one day, slowly by slowly, he was introduced to the palace. He first of all went in to help to minister to King Saul, who was troubled and because he was a harp player. And uh, he's able to sing and able to write song that really ministered to King Saul. And that's how he eventually and, and the big story came one day when he was to uh, send food delivery. This is before Grab and Panda, you got David's delivery, okay? So he was, he was riding his little motorbike and was sending food to his brother. And when he was there, he heard a battle cry. Uh, Goliath challenged the nation of Israel, but there's no one who dared to even stand up to it. But David did so, and he won the battle because he put his trust in God. It wasn't because of how skillful he was, but he was just so passionate about who God is. And then the story unfolded, and he became known as the one who slay uh, the thousand, and, and he slay the ten of thousands, and the Saul will slay the hundreds of the thousand. And he became very famous, and one day Saul was so angry with him and threw a javelin at him, and then he went through years of wilderness being chased. And you know, so when you read through the life of David, he went through a whole array of emotional challenges. But in the midst of all of that, uh, there was something that was very consistent about David. He put his trust in God. Whether at his best days or his worst days when he sinned against God, and he wrote most of the Psalms because he has so much emotional turmoil that he has to go through. Uh, he had moments when he hated his enemy. He wished God would just wipe them out. He has moments when he sinned against God. He came so bare before God and bore his heart right before God. So he had all these moments, and which is why Psalms are incredible. So if you are someone that's full of emotions, or if you are someone that struggles with emotion, really reading Psalms, you get to read who you are, and you're able to learn the relationship that David had with God, and you are able to learn from there. All right, now, so we're in this series. It's called Psalms for the Soul. And uh, today we are going to look at Psalms chapter 8, a very interesting psalm because there's only nine verses. That's all. So, those of you who like to do quick devotion, this is for you. Nine verses devotion, okay? So, the, the title is God Thinks of Us and Cares for Us, which is really plucked from a particular verse in Psalms chapter 8, okay? 
okay? Uh, why Psalms? I sort of talked through that. Uh, what was so unique about Psalms 8? Three things. Number one, it was written by David. Number two, it is what we call a praise psalm. That means the nature of the psalm was written because David wanted to praise God. Uh, there were many genre of psalms. Some psalms are all lamentation, which means I come before God with my troubles, with my brokenness, with my things that I could not piece together and I come before God. But Psalms 8 was meant to be a praise psalm, so which means that when David wrote this, they would have sung it, just like we, we sing about God this morning, but they sung in Psalms chapter 8. There were only nine verses, but it was quoted three times in the New Testament. So that's pretty incredible, okay? Now, as you read Psalms together, I want to help you to do a little devotion. This is kind of a devotional series. Uh, one possible way to approach devotion uh, every time you read the Bible is to think through three lenses. First of all, when you read through the book of Psalms, you're asking yourself a very simple question. What does this passage tell me about God? That's very simple. Okay? That's question number two is, what does this passage tell me about men? So it tells you about how incredible God is, tells you God is faithful, tells you God fight for the, uh, fight for the, 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 the widows, God, you know, all, the, all the different, every time you read a passage, it tells you something about God. It tells you about men, tells you about the brokenness of men, the sin of men, the weakness of men, and the frailty of men. And then the third question you want to ask is, when you understand who God is, who man is, you walk the way, how does this change the way I'm going to live my life? Alright, so very simple. So if you are someone who don't know how to do devotion, simple three lens looking at the verses, at the passage, will help you to walk away with a couple of things that you can glean and put your trust in God. Alright, now, so I want you to have this tree in mind which we will revisit at the end of the message uh, as we read through book of Psalms chapter 8. I'm going to go through verse by verse and I'm going to make quick comments and then sums it up together in our last slide, okay? Uh, would, you, would you start by saying, read together, one to go. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Uh, this is inaccurate if you actually open up your version, this Lord is L-O-R-D, capital. I actually copy-paste it uh, for the team, but I think our English audited, edited it and put L-O-R-D to be. So, so actually, it's, it's capital, L-O-R-D. Uh, o Lord, our Lord is two different Hebrew words. The first L-O-R-D, capital, in the Hebrew word is Yahweh. The second L-O-R-D a small little word is called Adonai. So in Hebrew, it was read as our O Yahweh, our Adonai. That's, that's how it was read. Uh, when it comes to the name of God, it's very particular. Uh, because names are, names are particular, right? I'm sure all of you would name your children. Uh, none of you, I know the previous, they call it Atu, uh, Kao, uh, you know, but none of us do that anymore, okay? So we want to name, we want to select a name that's full of significance. That's just part of the growth of uh, human mankind, okay? But, O Lord of God, the first word, Lord, Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D, is actually the name that God named Himself. So it goes back to Exodus chapter 3, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe a bit later than that. It was Moses who God sent him to go to meet Pharaoh. And you must understand, in that context, in Egypt, it was stated that they have maybe close to a thousand gods, all the different names. And uh, so Moses came to God and says, God, all right, I accept the challenge to go to Pharaoh, 
to deliver the nation of Israel out of Egypt. But he says that when I meet Pharaoh, Pharaoh is going to ask me a question. He's going to say, what's the name of your God? He says, God, what should I tell you? I cannot say, oh my God. He says, I must tell him, what's your name? So God says, my name is Yahweh. And once we walk through the, you know, to, to Englishize it today, eventually it becomes Jehovah. And today in our English, it's called L-O-R-D, Lord. It's just a capital. That's the way to signify it. The word Yahweh simply means I am the self-existent one. That means that I've been there since the beginning, now and forever. I am who I am. I can be whatever I needed to be. So it has this no boundary description of the vastness of who God is. So the beginning point for David as he begins his life, he begins his prayer, he says, God... You are Yahweh. You are this self-existent, most incredible, powerful God. And then he says, you are my Adonai. Adonai simply means my master, my boss. My really, the English word called Lord. He's trying to say that God, as I begin to navigate my thing called life, my existence, and I, and I want you to know, all of us exist all at different ages and different stages of life. Some of you young, uh, maybe, you know, I look at Andy here. Andy, how old are you, Andy? 13, 8 years old, 9, okay, okay, never mind, uh, okay, 8 years old, all right, Andy, from, from Australia, one of my, I'm a fan of Andy, okay, uh, so 8 years old, right, he's trying to figure out this thing called navigate life, who is my Lord, social media, game book, I, I'm trying to figure that out, right, as you go into your teens, your, your campus, say, who's going to be a Lord of my life, my career, what I want to be, the girl that I'm going to get married to, and then eventually become a young adult, my, my ambition, my engineering, my doctor, then you, you married, and then your wife, and full-blown family. Who is actually going to be the Lord of your life? Who is the one? Money, govern, power, position. What, what is going So David was very clear. He says, God, you are the Lord of my life. You are the one that actually leads me, guides me, navigates me on all seasons of life. And then he went on to say, he said, how majestic is your name in all the earth? He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. He's trying to say that, God, you are so incredibly majestic that all the heavens have created, you are way above all of them. Now, I want to show you some of the beauty of the universe, okay? This is by the latest telescope called James Webb Telescope. James Webb Telescope is the telescope that can see the furthest ever. If I'm not mistaken, with the observable universe, and it's called observable means this is as far as we can see. Nobody knows when does the universe end. In fact, potentially the new universe is endless. Nobody knows. The observable universe by James Webb Telescope covers about 40 billion light years, if I'm not mistaken, which means, which means if there is an explosion at the furthest area, of our universe, it takes us 40 billion light years before we get to see it because that is how far it travels to our eye. Are you with me? So let's say I'm able to jump on a spaceship that travels at light years. It will take me 40 billion years to go to the part where the James Telescope able to capture. That, that is how vast the universe is. And God is trying to, and David says, God, of course, David doesn't have a telescope, right? He doesn't know who is James Webb. He just see it from his pure eyes when he took care of the flock and after all the sheep has slept and he has nothing to do because he has no TikTok. 
He has no Facebook. He has no Ioma uh, to listen to, right? He's, he's, he's sitting down there and he's looking at all this and then he began to connect just this, the majestic and the wonders of God that created this whole universe. Um, and then, it was interesting, okay, because after he tells all of that, he then went from the vastness and the greatness of God's creation to the most helpless human being called babies and infants. Now, the babies isn't your wife, okay, just in case you thought, oh, oh, the babies, right? Hi, babe, you know, that kind of thing, okay? He says, oh, the mouth of babies and infants, which is the most helpless human being, he said, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. And Jesus in Matthew 21 literally quoted this verse when he made his triumphant entry and all the, all the children were praising God. And then the Pharisee says, keep quiet. And then Jesus said, he says, out of the mouth of infants will come perfect praise. He literally quoted Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. You know, there's something about just the way God has navigated life. God is professionally great in taking what is foolish in the world to shame what is wise in the world. When Samuel was looking for a king, he went to the household, right? He saw all David's brother. They were six-pack, well-built, come from gym, you know, uh, whatever, real fitness, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever gym, okay? And, and they were all fully, and then he bypassed all of them. He says, God, this looks good. And then God said, no, 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 there's another one. And then he saw this little boy called David. And God says, that's the boy I want to. You know, God always has a way to take what is most foolish of the world and make it, make it incredible. God took the symbol of a cross, which is the most foolish and shameful thing during those times, and make it to be a tool and membranes of His grace uh, to us. So something about when we are weak, God is strong. Uh, you know, I, I can potentially think about David when he wrote this, he thought about his battle against Goliath. He thought about when I stood there, I was only five foot six and I dealt with someone that is five foot six is because five foot seven because that's 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 my height. And then he thought about I dealt with someone that was nine feet, ten feet, or eleven foot tall, and that was Goliath. And he talked about how I was so helpless. I only had stone. He had spear, he had all that, but God established his strength because of my weaknesses, which really tells you there is a way of life that as you leave, some of the thing, you don't have to argue. Some of the thing you let people win, never mind. You take a humble road because sometimes in the humble road, you get to see God actually works on behalf of you because that's the nature of who God is. You know, when I think about out of the mouth of infants, it brings perfect praise. I thought about one of my lecturers, Dr. Rochelle, which I shared her story before, they could not have a child and they were given the opportunity to adopt. When they went for the adoption, somewhere as a child is developing, they, the doctor came to them and said that, well, the child that you want to adopt, which is from another parts of the world, uh, is actually an autistic child. And you have to decide. And it comes with some medical problem. And they have to actually decide, would they take an autistic child that comes with physical impairment, honestly? And he has to go through, I think he has to go through about seven to eight operations to sort out his body. Uh, and I remember she and her husband came back and they prayed about it. And they said that, you know, if we don't, we don't know who else would take an autistic child. And they decided to take that child. 
and then go through the entire journey with the grace of God. And she was sharing with us that was the first time she took this autistic child when he was about four, five years old, or, you know, to a church, or three, four years old. And a child is a child. They are always caught in their own world. When the music started, the autistic child just came right to the front, and he was being jumping and worshipping God. Something about what he did that helped the entire church that day to learn the beauty of worshipping God just like a childlike faith. And she talked about how after the service, the worship director went to her and says, you know, today worship was so beautiful because your son taught every one of us the simplicity of worship again. Something about the who the nature of God is. He take what is the weak and he made it strong. So here it is. David was, was telling us, painting a picture of how great God is. And then he went back to the weakness of men. And then, verse 3, he went back to the heavens again. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, and in the Hebrew word simply means God has just put them in there, just, just very easily. You know, you must understand, I, I'm not a, what do you call that? Those who study stars, and that, that's a technical term, I forgot. Astronomies or whatever, okay? Astrologies or I don't know, okay? Some, something astro one, but not the astro that we watch. Okay, he says God had put all this thing in his place, and you go, you, you got some of the stars that are so super massive. So I was trying to look at an equivalent to understand how incredible is God's universe. Okay, so this is the best that I can find. So this particular this particular person said to help you to put it into perspective ratio. He says if you can imagine the Earth is a grain of sand. So I don't know some of you maybe you can take out a grain of sand from your shoe, right? That's the size of the earth. Help you to understand the ratio. He says, we are in a solar system. The solar system is like a plate. So earth, like a grain of sand, put in a plate. That's your solar system. We are in a galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. And there are many, many galaxies. That's why we need the guardians of the galaxy. Sorry, lame joke, okay? So he says, we are in a Milky Way galaxy. So the Milky Way galaxy is the size of North America. Are you with me? Galaxy, Milky Way, North America, plate, solar system, with Plutos and all that, Earth is a grain of sand. He says, when you compare North America, uh, plate, grain of sand, to the observable universe, to what James Webb Telescope can observe right now, he says the universe is like the size of the Earth. Are you with me? The Earth, North America, a plate, a grain of sand. That sand is actually the earth. Somewhere in that grain of sand, there's a particular country called Malaysia. Somewhere in that particular nation called Malaysia, there's a place called Selangor. Somewhere in Selangor, there's a place called Puchong. Somewhere in Puchong, there's a place called Jalan Rajawali. Somewhere in this Jalan Rajawali, there's a place called Every Nation. Somewhere in this Every Nation is where every one of you are sitting. And here it is, David. He says, I can't figure this out. This God that created all this, and we are still observing the universe. We are, we are still trying to figure out how big is God's creation. He says, in the midst of all this, there's this minute detail called you and I who exist. And then he says that God is mindful the word mindful simply means he took time to remember. 
He says he's mindful of us. He wasn't mindless. He wasn't like, oops, you know, where's the guy, eh? the, the fat guy, wear glasses, you know, ball a little bit, you know. <laughs> okay, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't. He's mindful of us. In fact, not only he's mindful, he says he knows the number of hairs that we have. Uh, I, I've been really helping God to not choke up his memory, okay, as my hairs are losing more and more, okay. He says, he says he's mindful for him. And then he says, who is the son of man that I actually, he actually care for us? Think about that. Think about that contrast that David, that's why it's called a praise psalm. He's trying to help us imagine the vastness of the universe and the smallness of the detail that God are actually mindful of everyone and He actually cares for every one of us. Now, potentially you're in a situation in your life where you're asking God, God, where are you? I don't think you're mindful. I think you've forgotten about me. We can maybe dialogue about it. But I want you to know, there was another passage in the Bible that helps us to understand how much actually God loves us. And potentially that is a perspective changer to every one of us. In the book of Isaiah 49, I don't have it there, but Isaiah 49, verse 15 and 16, the nation of Israel come before God and says, God, you have forsaken me. How many of you in your life you have said that before to God? Wow, nobody. This is the perfect church. Okay, okay, that hand, that hand. I still see the hand. Thank you for the hand, okay? Okay, some of you like, make sure, Pastor, I did, I did, okay? Some of you for, forsaken that you have forsaken to say the word forsaken God. Okay, anyway, so, so we all have. So the nation of Israel come before I say, God, you have forsaken me. And then God gave them a metaphor. He says that, he says, he says, even a breastfeeding mom who holds the son may forget that son, but I will not. He was trying to say that for every mother who took time to breastfeed and nurture a child, they will never forget that child. Till today, my mom will say, oh, you know, how are you? My, my mom will, will want the best for me, right? Because that's the nature of mom. And God says that even a mom may forget that. He says, I will not forget. And then he says, I have engraved them at the palm of my hand. Did you know the Hebrew word for engrave simply means you use a hard object and you craft it at the palm. 1,000 years later, after Isaiah 49, when Jesus died on the cross, He literally used the nail to nail at the palm of His hand. That's so incredible. When Thomas came to Jesus and he says, how do I know you are really the one? Jesus showed the palm of His hand the nail that took that hole. And I have the suspicion that when we go up to heaven, I'm pretty sure Jesus will receive us with that hole in the palm of His hand. Literally. God did the greatest miracle when He thought about us by dying on the cross for every one of us. That's the biggest thing now. So I know here we are. We are arguing about God and saying, God, why didn't you kill the white ants? that invaded my house? Why didn't you take away the nail that punctured my tire? Why didn't you, the, the, the guy that hurt my feeling, the girl that, you know, I, I know we are wrestling with all of that. But I want you to know, God, I'm mindful and He cares for each one of us. And I think in our journey and our walk with God, there will be moments when I recollected my life, there were many moments I knew 
I was special towards God. Or at least I feel special. I knew that God took His time to remember my financial condition, to remember my health condition, to remember when I make a mistake and I was stuck with the decision-making, how am I going to get that out from there? And God came through the most miraculous way. And I can think of a various different stories, but I think this story stands out to me right now. Or as I prepared this message, it was many years ago when I went to I went to the States to study and I went, went for a conference and it was in Kansas City. Some of you heard this story before. And it was a prophet by the name of Paul Cain, which eventually, uh, he was pretty messed up right now. So the Paul Cain that you read about today wasn't the Paul Cain that was ministering by then. But Paul Cain has a very incredible, interesting prophetic ministry. And one of his ministry was, he will come before God and God will show him vision. And he will have a stack of cards where he write down the vision. So sometimes... In his book, he tells of God, can you slow down? Because I cannot cope with it. I cannot cope with it. He will keep on writing down. And he will come for a conference with a whole stack of cards in which he will take it out. And then he will just read. And people will be laughing, crying, you know, as he does that. Because all these things meant something to someone. So I knew that because I was being hosted by a couple, I think it was John and Karen or something like that. As he holds the stack of cards, he will read, John and Karen, God says, put down the phone, serve me. And then he'll move on. And then people will be laughing. And then I found out John and Karen work for AT&T company. If you don't know what is AT&T company, Google about it, okay? It's a telecom company, okay? So basically, as he writes, he has his own sense of humor, and he doesn't know who is John and Karen. He just keep on reading. As he read, he comes to one of his final card, and then he stops. He says, this person called, God wants to say to Wong, and then it's a Chinese name. This was in US, 3,000 people conference. I thought I was the only Chinese people, but wasn't. There were other China, Chinese people. He says, this Wong something, he says, would you, God wants to say something to you. And he says, God wants to honour you today in a very special way. Turned out to be the Wong something was a janitor who sweeps the floor. And this Wong something, again, I shouldn't say Wong something, at least create a name from Wong Fei Hong. I'm just kidding, okay? This, so, Mr. Wong used to be a China believer who went to the jail, persecuted for his faith. After more than 12 years, he was miraculously delivered, saved, and come to US. And on that particular day, God wanted to honour this man. So it says there's this particular person called Wong something. God wants to make it special for you. So, and finally, they identified he was a janitor that cleans the, the church conference. He came up, and on that day, they put him at the exit of the door, and thousands of people walked through that door. There were about eight different exits, but he was one of them. And everybody shook his hand and said, thank you for not giving up your faith. Thank you for not giving up. Can you imagine? That person will walk away. God, you are so mindful of me and you kept for me. And he went through some of the most horrendous persecution because he kept his faith. Now, some of you might be sitting here, Pastor, I wish, just go at the exit door or serve as an usher. A lot of people will shake your hand. <laughs> no. Some of you are wondering, when will it be my time? I don't know. But we put it in God's hand. If you don't get it on earth, you will get it in heaven where one day God will stand there and all He will tell you is, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
So David was just blown away by how great God is, the one that created this whole universe. And out of the little grain of sand, which is the representing of us, somewhere in this grain of sand, there's every one of us. And he says he's mindful and he cares for you. Isn't that incredible? And then he went on. He says, you make him a little lower than the heavenly being, angels, and crown him with glory and honor, which is the particular chapter and verse that Hebrews 2 pick it up and describe who Jesus is. So this is a double fulfillment. It has a direct fulfillment to Jesus when he chose to become a man and God said he will crown him with glory and honor. It also is a particular verse that talks about God will share his glory with you and I. And then he went on to say, he says, but you have given him dominion over the works of your hand and you will put all things under His feet, which means that one day, God in this observable universe that we can see, or potentially there's more and more, He says, one day, He says, we are going to reign with God. And so he, he made us all human, which is different from the animals. He said, you begin by taking dominion over the works of your hand. You begin to take dominion under your feet. And you know what? I want to encourage all of you. The first dominion you want to take is actually yourself. You want to overcome your jealousy. You want to overcome your pride. You want to overcome your selfishness. You want to overcome your, whatever it is, you, you allow God to invade your world because uh, Rick Warren say, the earth is a rehearsal for heaven. All that happened. So that we learn how to allow God and in our relating with God who thinks about us, in our various trials and temptations and all the struggle that you go through, you invite God into your world and you see how God changed your internal world that will affect eventually your external world. That's the journey that we take while on earth. And all of that, he says, God has put every one of us one day inviting us to be part of that. And then he ends by about how majestic. Verse 1 and verse 9 is the same thing. It begins with praises, he ends with praises, and it brings us the two contrasts of God's vastness of his creation and he zooms into the focus of every one of us that he's mindful and he cares for us. Very quickly, let me just sum it all up. So what does it tell you about God? Three things. It tells you that God is our creator. He tells you that he is majestic. He tells you that He cares for every one of us. What does it tell you about men? It tells you that we need to learn to make Him Lord, just like David. Oh, Yahweh, my Adonai. Oh, Yahweh, my Lord, my Master. We learn how to make Him Lord. It tells you that when we are weak, God is strong. It's okay to be weak. It's okay sometimes to lose out. doesn't matter. It tells you that we are created to rule with Him. God has a purpose. What does it, how, how it's going to change the way you and I live? You should live confidently because you know that God is with you. And you may be going through all that difficulties, all challenges that you go through, but you live with confidence that God is with you. Number two, you live restfully. You know, all of us go through seasons where a lot of things can't connect the dot. I, I went through so many of mine. I went through when I was a teen. I went through when I was college. I went through when I didn't do well in my exam. I went through when I ran out of money. I went through when I could not get a sales data craft, sit in the minibus, you know, every day, you know, smelly, come back home and then go to bed and learning how to go through various seasons help you to apply rest. We, we go through when we are doing parenting and we 
didn't know what to do with our children. I'm sure my children didn't know what to do with us as well. They have to go through their own journey of putting their trust in God as we put our trust in God. And then you live overcoming. Overcoming. Overcome your anxiety, your, your struggle, your sin. Own up to it and allow God to change your anger, your temper, your whatever it is, your lust, and allow all of that. Uh, and all this is possible because the greatness and the vastness of who God is is the same God that cares and mindful to each and every one of us. Can I go to amen? That is just who God is. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to create a little bit of a dialogue, and uh, so that as you kind of listen to all that, maybe there are questions that you could not piece together. You're trying to apply this to where you are, and you're stuck. Uh, kind of, let's talk about it, okay? But uh, would you stand? Would you stand as we as we close this segment of our of our service? By the way, for some of you, the service has not ended, you know, and I know some of you move around, some toilet, some needs to go off. I do understand. But dialogue is part of our service, helping you to digest the Word of God and try to, try to think, God, how does this apply to this particular season or where I am, okay? Um, why don't we pray? I'm just toy between, should we sing or should we dialogue, all right? But never mind, let's just do it, okay? God, we come before you. God, I, I wish we had little time just to allow that David moment when he, when he slept at the grass and he looked at the sky, uh, which today we are swamped with social media. And we do not take time to reflect and ponder. But it was in that moment you gave him the thought about how vast, how great, how majestic you are. Yet, 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 what is most incredible was you thought of us and you care for us. You are mindful and you care for us. God, I pray right now, no matter what situation each and every one of us are going through, I pray that we will walk away from this space knowing well that your thoughts are full of us and you care for us. Because sometimes we cannot connect those dots. We are a consumer human being that the moment we had troubles, we throw it at you and say, God, you didn't help me to sort it through. But sometimes, it is the sorting out the troubles that make us a better man and more like you. So I pray you will tutor our heart to be like David who saw the vastness of God and the weakness of man and be able to connect those and say thank you for being full and thank you for caring for us. Lord, I pray and I ask this as we walked away at the end of the service, we know that how much we mean to you and because of that, we can live our life always restful, confidently, and being an overcomer. We thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.